So the idea of this is we're looking at some of the most known people in the Bible, but we're looking at them in a little bit of a different way. We're trying to see their humanity. We're trying to see them as real people with weaknesses, with faults, with frailties, with sins, and with all kinds of normal things that you and I face. And that's really important to do because we often distance ourselves from these people in the Bible. So we'll test your knowledge a little bit. What was the first Bible person that we, we looked at? No, that was the second one. John the Baptist. Good, good. And then we looked at Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. So it was the doubt of John the Baptist, the depression of Elijah. I forgot the third one. No, not Jonah. Gideon. Yeah, the identity crisis of Gideon. But you never thought of him that way. And then we did the who is it? The guy with the fish. Jonah. Yeah, the vengeance of Jonah, a man who did not like the grace of God. And uh, now, today, we're going to do uh, Peter and talk about the fear in or of Peter. And Peter is, uh, without a doubt, the most known or one of the most known people in all of the Bible. I mean, people who don't even read the Bible know a little bit about Peter. They tell jokes about Peter. <laughs> they, don't, they say things that Peter said or that Jesus said to Peter without even knowing that Peter said them or Jesus said them, you know. So everybody knows a little something about Peter, even if it's a little joke perhaps, but he's very, very well known, one of the most known figures uh, in the entire New Testament. So tell me what you know. Just shout it out, uh, what you know about Peter. And Facebook people, you can play along. Just send us a little message. This is what I know about Peter. Go ahead. He, he well, he attempted to walk on water. Didn't get very far, but at least he tried. He what? Yeah, he denied Jesus. Yeah, and the rooster crowed. We're going to look at that today. What else did he do? Pardon me? Yes, he, 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 well, he chopped the ear off the servant of the high priest when Jesus was arrested. He cut it right off. And Jesus put it right back on. Good. Preached on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, the first sermon of the brand new church community. He preached it. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus in one day. He prayed for the, the person who was begging by the temple gate beautiful, the man who was disabled from birth, yeah, and prayed and healed him. Silver and gold I have not, but what I give, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, yeah. Was arrested, went to trial for that. And he, he did what? He slept. <laughs> yeah, he slept while Jesus was in agony. <laughs> he, he was sleeping, yeah. Keep watch, Jesus said, and he slept, yeah, good. He did what? Yes, very theologically stated. Yes, he brought the Gentiles, the non-Hebrew, non-Jewish people. Uh, he made people aware that God loves Gentiles too. So I'll talk about that a little today. Anything else? You guys are good. Yes? Had a re right. So he said, he said uh, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes. I'm waiting for one more. Denied Jesus. Yeah, we already said that. 
He did what? Did he raise the dead? He did. Pardon? He did raise the dead. In the book of Acts, he did. In fact, there's things in the book of Acts that say just people wanted his shadow to fall on them so that they would be healed of whatever they needed healing of. Imagine, just his shadow. One more. Right, right, right. So uh, Jesus said to him, I will make you fishers of men. Yeah, true, true. I'm waiting for one more. It's really harsh. On this right, yeah, okay. Peter, Jesus said that to Peter. I tell you, you are, he changed his name. His name is Simon. So he adds, Jesus does a play on words and he says, your name is Peter, rock, big rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Yeah, very, very misunderstood passage sometimes. One more. You say this sometimes, especially church folks say this sometimes when they're tempted by food and they, and they want to relieve themselves of the temptation. They say, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So Jesus said that to Peter. He said that to him. He called him an enemy. Satan is not a, a name. It's a title. It means enemy. So he called him, he called him, you're, you're my enemy. Because Peter wanted to, he was talking, Jesus was talking to Peter about going to the cross and dying on the cross and being raised from the dead three days later. Peter didn't know what he was talking about. He said, never, never, never. And Jesus, he said, it says there, Peter rebuked Jesus. It actually says that in the text. Peter rebuked Jesus. And would you want to rebuke Jesus? Not so sure. So then Jesus turns and rebukes him by calling him Satan. Oh boy. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Okay, you, you're really good. So on the, on the high points, you put it on the screen there, uh, you have several things that Peter did that are really good. Just picking on some of his high moments. Uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because Jesus said to the people, who do the people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says that, that very important confession, identifying Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus even says to him there, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, uh, uh, Simon, but my Father who is in heaven. So he had a kind of a spiritual, kind of supernatural moment there where he's able to rightly identify uh, who Jesus is. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is physically, he changes and you see two people up on the Mount there with him? Do you know who? Elijah and Moses, remember? And Peter says, whoa, we need to build some little houses to keep them in here. <laughs> and and the, the writers and the gospel say he didn't know what he was saying, right? Kind of a strange thing, but he's there. He's there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He preaches the first sermon of the new ecclesia, the new community built around Jesus, the risen Savior. He preaches that message in Acts chapter 2, and there's 3,000 people who are visiting for the Feast of Pentecost, and they're all, they're all Jewish people, and they come to, to that place, to Jerusalem. It's a pilgrimage feast. And uh, they become followers of this Jesus. Uh, and Peter preached that first message. And the book of Acts says 3,000 people were baptized that day. Wow. So he's a prominent leader. If you read the book of Acts, very prominent. He is involved in many very 
important and significant decisions. He is used quite um, dramatically by God in terms of signs and wonders and the miraculous. He's extremely bold in the book of Acts. Uh, so he's a very significant figure there. And he went on to write two letters in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So he's all over the pages of Scripture, and those are some of his high moments. But he also has some low moments. <laughs> so he rebukes Jesus, which we already talked about, and then he's rebuked by Jesus, calling him Satan. He fails to walk on water, so he, he puts his foot there and and what does he do? He looks around and he sees all of the waves and he starts sinking. And Jesus pulls him up and kind of chastises him a little bit for his lack of faith as he does with the rest of the people in the boat there. But he tries and fails to walk on water. He's very violent at the arrest of Jesus. We see this in John's gospel. He, he cuts the ear off of the servant of the high priest. Um, he denies even knowing Jesus at the trials of Jesus, or one of the first trials, he, he is put on the spot. Uh, you see this in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You have to really fit it together like a jigsaw puzzle. But you see that he very, very clearly denies Jesus, uh, even to his face. And we'll look at that in a moment. And then we also see, and this is not often known about him, he is afraid of a particular group of believers from the church in Jerusalem, and it causes him to actually shun non-Jewish people. We'll look at that as well. So he's, on, he's got highs, he's got lows, he puts his proverbial foot in his mouth all the time. He's always asking questions, he's, he makes a lot of mistakes, but he is all over the pages of Scripture. If there's anyone who we have probably an easier time relating to, it's Peter. Because of the amount of mistakes that he makes, we say, oh, we really like Peter. We can really relate to Peter. Uh, maybe we don't want to be called Satan by Jesus, but we can really relate to him because he's so, he's all over the place. And it really, his character really jumps out of the pages of scripture as, as someone who's quite quite genuine, quite real. If you read even the book of Mark only, uh, we have pretty good tradition, first, second century tradition that says that uh, Mark was actually written by John Mark, Peter's relative, but probably dictated by Peter himself to John Mark. If we go with that theory and we read the book of Mark, we, we can see, oh, okay, he tries to soften some of the, his mistakes there, but some of them he's very, very candid about even in the book of Mark. So he's quite a, he's quite a passionate person no matter where, what he's doing. Um, but this is the application for us today. Have you ever been so convinced and have such a um, uh, conviction, a strong conviction, you could boldly articulate it, you stood on it, you talked about it, you weren't ashamed of it, you weren't afraid of it, you were passionate about it, only to deny it when you were put under pressure. Only to go back on that conviction when the chips were down, when you were being watched, when there was something at stake or that you thought was at stake and you, you flipped on your own conviction. I don't know if you caught the news, but 
There is an election in Canada. Oh, it's so strange. The Canadian system, one month of campaigning. U.S., 10,000 years of campaigning. The Canadian system, one month. So you got one month. You've got to be really, really, really careful. One slip of the tongue. One flip-flop that's caught. One time where someone digs up the dirt and says, hold on, hold on, hold on. This person said this way back then, and now they're saying this over here. And you know, in Canadian politics, it's, whoa, it's really, really slick and really, so, you, you know, we're all watching to see who's going to flip and who's going to flop. Well, here you have Peter, and I mean, literally convicted of one particular thing, let's say, and then he just flips because of this pressure that he faces at multiple times in his life from various people or groups. Have you ever been like that? I have found, in particular in church circles, but also in the non-church world, sometimes the things that people talk about the most passionately, they have the greatest amount of opinion on whatever subject or whatever moral stance or whatever conviction. Sometimes the people who, have the, who talk the most and articulate it the most and appear to be the most passionate about it, sometimes they're the first people to flip on it. I have seen that. I have seen some people, especially in church circles, very, very vocal about whatever, whatever, and that's great. But then you see a few years later, they totally flip-flopped on it. They're totally the other way now, and they, you know, a whole lot of people are confused. I thought you stood for this, and now you don't anymore. We're seeing this actually in Christian leadership circles more and more, where people on various subjects are totally flipping, and it's leaving the rest of us who follow them and read their books a little bit confused. I thought they were right. I thought that. So sometimes the people who are the most vocal are actually the ones who flip the, the, the quickest and the most dramatically. In any case, uh, we'll look at two of these cases today in the life of Peter. The first, uh, we've already talked about a little bit, he denies, he actually denies even knowing Jesus. So you see this uh, in all four Gospels, but in particular, I'll look at Mark and look at Luke. And in Mark's Gospel, again, probably coming from the mouth of Peter, through John Mark, if we go with that theory at least, here's how it's worded. While Peter was below in the courtyard, this is the night when Jesus was arrested. Traditionally, we say this is Thursday night. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest, Jesus had already been arrested. Peter had already you know, sliced the ear. There was already that moment, and now Jesus is starting to face various trials. When she saw Peter warming himself, Peter had slipped into the courtyards warming his hands by the fire. She looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus. And here's Peter, verse 68, but he denied it. I don't understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Speaking of Jesus's, you know, band of merry men, uh, so to speak, the, we call them the apostles sometimes. And after a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And people from Galilee in the north, they had an accent. And so they say, look, he's, we saw him. He's with Jesus. He's a Galilean. 
He's, he's one of them. And verse 71, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice. You will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. You can read it in, in uh, Matthew. You can read it in Mark. You can read it in Luke. You can read it in John. And it, you have to fit this together like a bit of a jigsaw puzzle because there's things that say, well, did he do it this way? Did he do it this way? When did the rooster crow, etc., etc.? In any case, this is Mark's version of the denial. Uh, if you look at Luke's, Luke's is even more harsh. And this is in Luke 22, verses 54 to 62. Uh, seizing him, that's Jesus. They led him away, took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down with them. The servant girl uh, saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. And he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little while later, you are also one of them, someone said. Man, I am not. Certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed in verse 61 of Luke 22. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Ooh, only Luke records this. Imagine that look. Imagine what Peter would have felt. Exactly what Jesus said came true, and Jesus had predicted that this would happen, that he would deny him, even though Peter said, I will never fall away, I'll never fall away, Mark 14, 27 to 31, and Jesus said, yes, you will, before the rooster crows, you will deny me, and Jesus said, even if I have to die, I will not deny you, and yet he can't even stand the little fire, the little campfire. He can't even hold up under that kind of pressure. Wow. You say, man, what happened to Peter after that? Well, it has a good ending. I mean, you see later on after Jesus has risen from the dead, there's an angelic messenger who says, you go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going to be in such and such a place and to meet there. And there's a, there's a conversation, a very personal conversation that's recorded in the book of John where Peter is reinstated by Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, but he does so in a very emotional way. And he takes Peter aside and he says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And he says, well then feed my lambs. And he asks him again and he asks him how many times? Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And Peter, ouch, that third time, he knows exactly what Jesus is doing. And Jesus kind of reinstates him. But he also tells him how he's going to die. And he says, someone, your, your arms are going to be stretched out. Uh, Christian tradition holds that, that Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, and that's how he lost his life. It's not in the Bible, but this is, this is what's typically believed about the end of uh, Simon Peter's life. But in any, any case, Jesus reinstates him even after he denies Jesus right to his face at this critical moment in the life of his master, Jesus of Nazareth. And then what happens? He goes on to, to be this bold figure 
at the beginning of the book of Acts? Who is it that understands what's going on when the Holy Spirit uh, descends upon this group of people and people hear these languages and uh, there, there's 120 believers who have never left Jerusalem and they're speaking in languages of all the visitors from all these different nations and they say, what's going on? You, are these people drunk? It doesn't make any sense. And Peter, he steps into the scene with boldness and he says, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Let me tell you what is happening. This is the last days as per the prophet Joel and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. That's why you hear these people speaking in these languages that you know, but they don't even know. There's a supernatural thing that's happening here. God is trying to get your attention. He's ushering in this period of time that Joel prophesied, the Old Testament prophet Joel. Um, so uh, he's bold. I mean, he preaches this powerful message and people are, are deeply convicted. Uh, he tells them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and so on. And they do it. I mean, so effective and so bold and so such a powerful message. You know, when you, when you go to Bible college, they analyze this preaching of Peter. And they say, look at this brilliant message, how he did it and so on. I mean, it's, it's an incredible change, it seems, in his life when the Holy Spirit comes into his life. He's like changed and he's very, very bold. You watch him through the book of Acts and he does incredible things. He's a very, very prominent figure there, very significant. There's one moment in particular where Peter is used to show that God loves non-Jewish people too. Who'd have thought? Because if you read the book of Acts carefully, if you read the gospels carefully, Basically, this is a Jewish context. So people were waiting for the Messiah in their context, the Jewish political figure who would redeem them and so on. Jesus totally comes in out of a tangent. They don't understand. He doesn't fit the picture that they think he should fit and so on. And so it's very strange, very uh, confusing. But when they start to figure it out, they do not believe that God wants non-Jewish people in on this whole salvation thing, this whole redemption thing. And Peter is used very specifically with the uh, Italian leader Cornelius in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10, who's a God-fearing man who's seeking God, uh, doesn't know Jesus yet, but very passionate about God. And there's this kind of coordinated coincidence with Peter and his little band of people and Cornelius and his band of people. And when they finally meet each other, we see proof positive that God loves non-Jewish people. This is like the biggest controversy in the whole book of Acts that God would actually accept into his kingdom people who are non-Jewish, who don't know the Torah, who don't know the Old Testament, who don't know nothing. That God would actually save people who don't know anything. The men are uncircumcised. They, they don't know anything. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. I mean, Jewish people back then, you know what they called non-Jewish non people? Do any of you know? They called them dogs. Okay, so it wasn't, they, they did not understand that God loves the Gentile world. 
that God is the light, Jesus is the light of the entire world, not just the Jewish people. And Peter is used very dramatically in this whole thing. And we see in Acts chapter 11, he actually has to explain himself uh, to the, the believers down in Judea and, and in Jerusalem. And he has to explain to them uh, because they start criticizing Peter, Acts chapter 11, and they say, what's wrong with you? Like you went into the house of non-Jewish people? Cornelius is a Gentile. You went, and the guy's uncircumcised. You know what that means, okay? Back then, that was a big deal. You're marked of God or you're not marked of God. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Like that's, what are you doing? And so Peter had to tell the whole story. And he said, this is why we know that God wants to save the whole world and not just us. It's a very, very significant moment that, that proof positive that God loves Gentiles too. And you watch Peter through the whole book of Acts and it's just one thing after the other after the other. He's powerfully used of God. And you think, okay, well, what do we have to learn from any of this? Well, there's one story that people don't often know about or think about or, or observe in the, uh, in the New Testament. And it is Paul who gives it to us in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. It is not, we do not find this thing happening in the book of Acts. So we have to go by what Paul said. And I want you to see it. Maybe you've never seen it before. This is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Remember Peter, how he was faced with the pressure and the campfire? And do you know me? You know, it would be like saying today, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You know, it would be kind of like that. So Peter, he, he bows to the pressure under in the, in the, under the fire there when Jesus is under arrest. Maybe he fears for his own life. Maybe he fears he's going to be persecuted. Who knows? It is a tremendous transformation because of his experience with the Holy Spirit, powerfully used of God, the whole book of Acts. But then you have this narrative out of Galatians 2 from the pen of Paul. When Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter's Peter's original name, if you will. When he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Remember how Jesus looked straight at Peter. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Whoa, what is Paul talking about? For before certain men came from James... James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. Remember, that church did not believe that God loved the Gentiles too. When certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, which was forbidden in their, in their view, but he used to. Peter would eat with the Gentiles. He, he fellowshiped with the Gentiles. These people are believers. Remember, Peter was used to see that God accepted Gentiles too into his kingdom, into his whole plan of salvation. But when they arrived, this group of Jewish people from this church in Jerusalem, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Oh, wait a second. We saw that in Peter's life, didn't we? Long time ago, we saw him uh, before the book of Acts. We saw him under pressure and he cracked by the firelight and he denied Jesus to, him, 
to his face. And Paul's calling him out here, and he's saying he was afraid of this group that came from the Jerusalem church uh, that belonged to the circumcision group. These were people who said, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. I'll let you, I'll let you do the math on that one, okay? And he says even the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, and by his hypocrisy, even Barnabas, a leader in the church as well, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, this is Paul, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, so he blasts Peter in front of everybody there. I mean, Peter did it publicly, so Paul's going to do it publicly, and he blasts him, and he says, you are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? What he's doing is he's saying, you're a hypocrite. You're bowing under the pressure. You got this group that comes from this, this super religious church in Jerusalem who wants to circumcise everybody so that they can become Christians afterward, which is nonsense. They don't need that. And they come over here and you start pulling yourself away from the Gentiles because you are afraid, Peter. And Paul gets right in his, in his face in front of everybody and calls him out on it. That's the only time you hear of it. You don't hear of it in the book of Acts, but you see it from the pen of Paul. We have no reason to think that it didn't happen. Why would Paul make such a thing up? Uh, you know, you've got a conflict between these two very, very powerful church leaders, and it's right there in the pages of Scripture for us. So what do we see? We see a little pattern in Peter's life, don't we? We see that he, he flip-flops from time to time. He goes back on his convictions from time to time because he is afraid of what people think of him. So I want to give you three little lessons from the life of Peter with these, this denial of Jesus and the shunning of this Gentile group. Okay, because we face this kind of thing all the time. Even if you just want to talk about when people ask you and you start talking about religion with people. Maybe you run from the subject. Everybody else is talking about religion in the room. You run from the subject. You don't want anyone to know that you're a Christian. You don't want anyone to know that you go to church. You don't want to talk about it. You don't feel confident, whatever. You've got a list of excuses. And so you run from that. Maybe it's someone who are you a Christian? No, I'm not. I mean, it's exactly what Peter did. Do you know Jesus? No, I do not. Here, here are three things for you, okay? N number one, we need to learn to place more value on what God thinks of dot, 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 fill in the blanks. So your, your decision on a particular matter, you, you, you have a conviction about something. Do you sit and contemplate what does God think of this? Uh, because his opinion, if you will, his view is a whole lot more significant than everybody else's. But we tend to to magnify everybody else's view, but we forget about God's view. Well, what does God think of it? I mean, everybody else might be saying one thing. Well, what does God think of it? I mean, what's going to happen to you if you take a stand about a particular issue? What's going to happen to you if you take a stand and you say, yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, I read the Bible. Yes, I go to church. Like, what's really going to happen to you? So it, it, I, I find we place a whole lot more value. We augment and we, we maximize and we amplify what other people might say, what other people might think, and yet we totally forget often, well, what does God think? Is God not able to 
I don't know, protect you from losing your job if you take a stand on this particular thing. If you say, no, I won't do this because this is wrong. You don't want to say that because if you do, you could lose your job. Well, is God not able to find you another one? Like, do you trust him enough? Is he big enough? Does he, does he value your stance enough to lead you and to guide you? But well, we tend to overblow what man thinks and under, underplay what God thinks. And we should, we should do the reverse. Uh, number two you see a very clear change in Peter when uh, in the same mention of the person of the Holy Spirit. So you see Peter used over and over and over and over again in the book of Acts, and you almost always see a mention of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly. Peter was in uh, trial, Peter was in prison, there's something with the Holy Spirit and something happens. You see the mention of the person of the Holy Spirit in concert with Peter behaving in a certain way that's totally uh, bold and powerful and very un-Peter-like. So if your tendency is to flip-flop, learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. Learn to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Learn to be filled. Learn to be led by. Learn to walk by the Holy Spirit. I preached a couple of message on, uh, messages on this in our last uh, series. This is a lost, a lost art, a lost spiritual discipline, but it's very clear you see a change in Peter's behavior when the Holy Spirit is at work in his life. And number three, learn to fail forward. That's an expression from a leadership uh, teacher by the name of John Maxwell. Some of you may know that name. Learn to fail forward. Peter blew it more than twice. I mean, he blew it a lot. If we had a list of all of his, every single one of them, you'd look and say, good night. Why would God use this guy? I mean, he's just a colossal mess. He's all over the place. And yet God uses him and uses him and uses him. You will fail. You will you will try to articulate your faith about Jesus. You will blow it. You will say, oh, I, I kind of bailed out. I had an opportunity and I bailed out. I was in class. I had an opportunity to say something. I bailed out. The teacher was attacking Christianity. The boss was attacking it. The coworker was attacking this one. Was, I had a chance to say something. I bailed out. I bailed out. God must hate me. I must be a terrible Christian. Eh. Fail forward. <laughs> Peter failed forward. Peter was greatly used of God. He can greatly use you as well if you won't just say, well, I'm just a terrible failure as a Christian. So was Peter, you could argue. And yet he was used mightily, mightily in the history of the church. So learn from your failure to walk forward in your relationship with God. 